0: On the show today, Pino DiOya, CEO and owner of Beaver BeaverTales, a well-known Canadian pastry chain. Pino is here today to share life lessons learned through business and the guiding principles he has put into action in his life that have helped to build his hugely successful company.
1: Podcast with host Andy Vassily.
0: Very warm welcome to you and a big thank you for listening to my Run Your life podcast series. Today's conversation is with Pino Dioya. Pino is the CEO and owner of Beaver Tales, a one-of-a-kind, very well-known Canadian pastry chain. The chain started in 1978, but has spread widely throughout Canada and also has locations in six other countries around the world, including France, Mexico and Japan. With over 170 franchises and more opening each month, Beaver Tales is a massive success story that has been built on the vision of Pino and his amazing team working behind the scenes for years. In this conversation, we'll unpack some of the success principles that Pino has put into action over the years to help Tales thrive as an organization. But more importantly, we'll take a dive into Pino's life to learn how he was able to develop his worldview from a young age and capitalize on early strengths that he possessed that truly helped to give him the mindset of a champion. And I do not use the phrase mindset of a champion lightly. To me, a champion is someone who has the ability to impact those around them in a way that brings out their absolute best. Whether it be a professional athlete or coach, a best selling author, or gold medalist in the Olympics, a champion mindset is not only about tapping into one's own unique strengths in order to perform at one's best. It's also about how they give back to the world in a way that helps others thrive. Pino, to me, uh, definitely embodies all of the things that I just mentioned. As you will hear in this conversation, Pino, even at a young age, had a deeply entrepreneurial spirit, and you will hear specifics on how he was able to consistently engage with the world in a way that tapped into his natural abilities to be curious Creative, innovative, and resourceful. And it's these strengths that would later go on to help him build his hugely successful business. Pino's capacity to put people first and focus on developing strong relationships is firmly rooted in his belief in the importance of autonomy in the workplace. Pino encourages his employees in a way that not only helps them feel supported, but to also be able to contribute to the company's success based on the strengths and abilities that they bring to the organization. You'll learn specifics about Pino's philosophy as we dig deeper into this episode. I reached out to a good mutual friend of ours, Peter Ignazzi, who happens to be one of the very best creative directors in Canada. And I asked Peter to say a few words about Pino because he's known him for quite a while. And this is what he had to say about Pino. And Peter says, This I went to business school at McGill with Pino, but I really got to know him well when we were roommates on exchange in Milan. Pino had a capacity and a hunger just to do more than any of us. Every lesson was immediately applied in his mind to his business back home. Every walk down a street was an opportunity to get inspired by a business model. Every meal a thought of how to bring this home and market it. He wouldn't just party, he'd host the party. Some days I'd go into town to check out a site and find out when I got back that he'd gone to Denmark for the day or something like that. There's simply no off switch with this guy, or pause, or slow-mo. I'd like to thank Peter for taking the time to share his thoughts about Pinot. It's really easy to see from Peter's words why Pino has been so successful in the work that he does. Pino's company, Beaver Tales has been enjoyed by many, including former U.S. President Barack Obama, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, and has even been featured as a question and answer on the famous game show Jeopardy! hosted by the late Alex Trebek. It was awesome to be able to sit down with Pino on Zoom to have this discussion. And it's my biggest hope that wherever you are in the world listening to this, that you find a gem or two that you can take away to apply in both your personal and professional life. So thanks for listening, and let's jump right into Pino talking about early days in his life.
1: Um, grew up in uh, East End Montreal, which is uh, where the Italian neighborhood is, and uh, uh, not not the, uh, the best uh, well, not a well-to-do neighborhood, lots of working class immigrants. My, my parents came from Italy with, uh, you know, the proverbial nothing except what was on their back. They met in, in Montreal and uh, my dad did quite well for himself. He became a chartered accountant, which was kind of rare for, for immigrants there and built up quite uh, a firm. And I think, uh, well, not I think, I know inspired me and gave me the work ethic that I think I have. Um, and interestingly, when we moved into uh, a middle class suburb in in East End, so life was starting to get comfortable for for my parents, there happened to be a golf course next door, and that was my first business. When I was eleven years old, I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do or i didn't I didn't necessarily consciously decide this, but there was a really large maybe fifteen or twenty foot fence around the golf course that was supposed to prevent balls from crashing onto parked cars, straight, straight balls. But it really prevented, uh, because this is not a very pro course. So it prevented the golfers from climbing the fence to go get their lost ball. I would collect those balls every evening and then put them, lay them out on egg cartons. Yeah. That's how you can put the, the ball facing up after you polished it. Yeah. Zero, zero cost.
0: Yeah. And uh, where you go. And then I, I added drinks to that. And that was my start to hospitality. Ah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want to jump into is um, it's good to understand some context. And that's what I like to do with my guests. And um, I really want to jump into early strengths that you feel you developed that really went on to serve you well. And it's an important question because I often see early strengths connected to success later in life. So share uh, for the listeners some of those early strengths, what they were, and how you feel you developed them. I would have to say, so I was not, uh, and my wife
1: and I kind of proudly, I hope none of our teachers are listening, but we we kind of proudly relate, and we tell our kids all the time, it's important to be curious. It's not important to do well in school. Uh, We don't, we don't need then to excel because we we did not excel but we were curious my my wife is uh, my wife's one of my business partners my twin brother is my business partner too so my wife my twin brother and I run run a show together and my wife has a fine arts background so the the opposite of of the uh, the MBA side that my brother and I have my twin brother and I went through exactly the same schooling the same undergrad the same exchange program and the same university but what I think I bring is that curiosity which leads to resourcefulness I'm forced to be resourceful because I end up being curious about things maybe I shouldn't be curious about um and ultimately you know go back to the golf course and geez these guys can't hit a ball to save their life what if there's balls all over and literally you you would get a dozen balls a day yeah. um and I, I guess the curiosity is okay well, I'm, I'm a kid what what can I do with this I would, Yeah. I don't need to play soccer all summer. Why don't we just start selling these back to these golfers?
0: Uh, no, I, I think that it. would be uh, the the key uh, criteria or the key, right? Yeah. So curiosity leading to resourcefulness. And and let's double click on resourcefulness and give some examples of resourcefulness in your life at that age and what that looked like for you and how your mind operated. Being young, uh, not having a lot of experience, but being able to innovate and be resourceful is a huge skill. So just, just unpack that a little bit. I think even
1: before working, it was in school where I was always gravitating towards uh, projects and, and presentations. And I was, I was making more creative presentations because I, I didn't have necessarily the academics or the intellectual side. So I compensated without realizing it that, okay, well, I, I could put together a pitch. I was, maybe that's why Peter and I get along. We're, we're, yeah. we're idea guys, we're, we're advertising guys. Yeah. Um, not that it's all smoke and mirrors, don't get me wrong, I'm not going the other extreme, yeah, yeah. but I, I didn't excel in the, uh, uh, the maths or the sciences, but I did put together good presentations. And that mm-hmm. was good for the marketing side, it was good for the English side, it was good for the soft side, if you will. And then from a work perspective, uh, well, it was, was resourceful maybe not the right word, but when I first applied for my dream job, it was a job at Esprit Clothing. Remember them? Yeah, yeah. Like the precursor to Banana Republic, I guess, yeah. or Crew more. Yeah. And uh, that interview lasted all of <laughs> three minutes. And they, thanks, you're not made for fashion, they said. Because <laughs> uh, back then, I guess you could say whatever you wanted in an interview, but they were quite abrupt hmm. and so i went back to the job that you know everybody could get i applied for a job in in fast food and that was a job at a place i never heard of called Liber Tales.
0: yeah and what a fascinating story right such a part of your life and and journey and you know from what i've read there's um i don't know if i have this number right but over 140 franchises in six different countries is that is that 170 an accurate? now and, 170. and in this covid year including ghost kitchens. It's not a huge part of what we do, but there's six or seven, but including those,
1: we, we uh, it'll be between 20 and 30 new stores this year. Uh, oh, absolutely awesome. an all-time record for us.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I read some of your stuff and, and watched some of your interviews and, and that's the direction that I want to go. I think leadership is uh, such an important skill you know to to be a good leader we have to have certain skills and there are a lot of bad leaders out there so in looking at what you've accomplished I I definitely want to unpack leadership Um, but before we get there um, a question about leadership when you when you think about how you first started um, what did you used to think leadership was and then based on your learning and growth over the years what do you now think leadership is? Hmm, interesting.
1: So I think, you know, again, grew up in an immigrant neighborhood. Um, Schools we went to early on were were a lot of immigrant teachers and uh, European old school work ethic. I thought leadership, which full disclaimer, or uh, anticlimactic show ending, I still believe this is part of it. But I think leadership is, or I used to definitely think leadership was all about putting the extra hours Set the example, don't ask anyone to do what you wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And I think to a large degree, that's still an authentic part of certainly the leadership I uh, subscribe to or aspire to. Um, But I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's where I put my hat now. As I look at things now, I think that we live in a world that is uh, desperate for purpose Mm -hmm. And I think that COVID has really just underlined that, and we've we've all heard a million versions of that. But I think that the average person wants to be led, but rarely can one leader lead everyone. Mm -hmm. And so my view on it is that you might be a wonderful, positive, productive, delightful person who belongs somewhere so successful, but you don't want what I have. You don't. You may not want to be in the food industry or you may not want to franchise in the food industry, whether you're talking about employees or, or franchisees. You might fool yourself into thinking that. You might fool me into thinking that. We might all buy into that false narrative. But the reality is that what I can do as a leader is really be transparent. Mm-hmm. And authentic is a big cliche, so I won't use that. I'll use transparent and communicative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm really one of those... You know, we're, we're going to over talk it. I'm going to try and explain to you really where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that I get your true buy-in, but at a deep level. Mm-hmm. And at that point, so this is the anticlimactic part. At that point, I'm not leaving you anymore. You're leaving yourself. Mm-hmm. We really bought into the same vision. Uh, so in a way maybe that's a shortcut or uh, a cop out but i i don't want to lead people who don't want to be led i want to lead people who are more motivated than me I, I get a kick out of surrounding myself with with supercharged people i'd i'd much rather not be the smartest guy
0: in the room it, yeah well you know what you're saying does resonate with um something i i read or or listened to in in your interview and um to use your own words you said everyone has something to contribute and ways that they shine let them figure it out and you you very clearly stated I don't want to micromanage go do your thing make mistakes and learn in fact we have a quote up on our wall in the office make the right decision make the wrong decision just make a decision so failure is very much a part of the adventure so Absolutely. what you're talking about is really rooted in this the science of motivation self-determination theory mm. is a theory yep. of intrinsic motivation have you heard of self-determination yep. theory? yeah yes sir so yeah. I, yeah i had dr richard ryan the the um, yeah. co-developer uh, with dr Edward DC, I had Dr. Richard Ryan on my podcast, and we really unpacked self-determination theory. And what he talks about is that idea of three human fundamental needs: autonomy, relatedness, yeah. and competence. So you've already spoken to the autonomy piece in, in saying, yep, yeah, you want to people to figure out what their strengths are and to manage themselves. The relatedness piece is about relationships that are developed in the workplace deep, strong relationships lead to people being intrinsically motivated. The last piece is competence. We want to feel competent at what we're doing. So what you've just described in that short little uh, thing that you just said really connects deeply to self-determination theory. So let's just take it a step further. And and what is important to you about developing relationships and how do you go about developing relationships, um, so that there is authenticity there and trust and, and, um, all those things needed to really help people excel at their craft.
1: So that's interesting because it, it's almost like you said it this way, Andy. Well, wow. but the, that goes back to the curiosity. Mm-hmm. I, 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 mean, it, really I consider myself a branding professional. If, if I have to put myself on the yellow pages, I guess some listeners don't know what the yellow pages are, but if I had to categorize myself, that's where I would be. But, but really, I'm, I, I like to often say I'm a storyteller because branding is, is about storytelling. And that's just a curious adventure from story to story to story. And then I'd like to think that our businesses and, and maybe my life to some degree is a book of short stories, maybe a poetic way of, of summarizing it. But that curiosity... Leads you from from leadership uh, equation, from leadership necessity to leadership opportunity, and and at the end of the day, the curiosity makes me wonder how could this be better, more fun, more profitable, but usually better and fun ends up. I really believe it, especially when you're doing impulsive products like ours. We're not inventing. Uh, the cure to COVID fortunately or unfortunately I don't think we're qualified to yeah. do that but but we're, we're, we're doing something purely impulsive so if you end up having fun at what we do invariably it gets you sales it translates to sales and profits sure. and so I think when the right person finds themselves in the right place in our company it's because they get swept up in that curiosity where it's like hey every day is a new adventure we get to create something you. Mm-hmm. And the inverse is sadly also true where, and, and I see it, you know, my, my eldest uh, child is 15 years old and, you know, at the point where they start to ask themselves uh, teenage questions and through COVID that, that had a nice layer to it. And I see it with some of our younger staff, 20, 30 year olds. And I think too often, maybe because of the overwhelming world we live in, people look for, Purpose outside of so I will come and work for you because you will give me a purpose Mm -hmm. and that's the opposite of self determination. Now, now you're you're hitching your start at anything else. Invariably, that's not satisfying and that's not self fulfilling. Invariably, that'll come to some crash of some kind. and, and it shows fundamentally, I don't want to make this about curiosity, but it shows a
0: lack of curiosity because yeah. I'm, well, I'm not curious about what turns me on. You tell me what turns me on. Yeah. And you know what you're saying is very true. And what, what I want to double click on is curiosity. And because it's such an important thing, you know, to be curious, um, really opens up our minds to new, new learning. And then when we open our minds to new learning, Uh, we we turn potential ideas into greatness or we turn an idea into failure. It doesn't matter. But what you're talking about is the permission to be curious because as a leader, you can talk all day to your blue in the face and say that curiosity is a genuine value that you hold close to your heart. But if you're just talking shit and it's not true, people will see through you and say, well, that's not true because every time i'm curious and i pursue something i get shot down yes so just tell right. me tell me what i need to do then so right. how do you create the conditions uh, for people to be curious and to take a deep dive into curiosity in regards to the different roles within beaver tails
1: interesting so there so i have another this one's actually a neon sign that overlooks me on, on the side I, I think the number one thing i would do is encourage you to embrace change. Uh, People are terribly resistant to change. I think that's just a a separate calamity. I'm sure you could do a whole series on. But in order to truly be curious, I think you have to be comfortable with failure. And I think you have to really embrace change. And maybe that's related or, or even the same. Because if you're embracing change... Uh, there's a great book I read and I'm sure you've, you've come across it or read it. It, it. I forget the author. It's um psychologist, father, daughter, duo, but what happy people know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the short synopsis is uh, curiosity was in that book too. And they said, ultimately they, they tracked uh, rich people who lost everything, poor people who won lottery sports professionals, who had terrible accidents and weren't able to, to be sports uh, professionals anymore. They chat you every which way. And proverbially, the conclusion was, if life gives you lemons, you've you got to make lemonade. But in order to figure out what to do with those lemons, you've got you've to be curious. Yeah. So it's not the hand that's dealt you. It's what you do with the hand that's dealt you. So there's this quote in my office is, We've all heard it, but it's uh, it's not the strongest or the fastest of the species that survives, but the one the most adaptable to change. Absolutely, and often misattributed to Darwin. In fact, at our old office, we had a twenty-foot banner with Darwin's signature at the bottom, and somebody pointed out to me that it was this is also anticlimactic. But it was actually a professor of management from Louisiana State University. It Kind of makes almost more sense. But anyway, Dr. Megginsen is the guy. He deserves kudos for that one. The, I repeat that, and at our new office it's literally gonna be on sign just over my desk. Um, I encourage our team all the time, be curious and what can we change even before it needs to be changed? A subtle, but fundamental way we do that is on our organogram, which changes maybe once a month. So, So a lot of people might say, you know, once a month, how do you do that? We're only 15 or 20 people. How we group the people, who you report into, what your team is focused on, that's rearranging the variables mm-hmm. to get the most out of it.
0: And to keep it fresh and to tap into strengths. There you go. That's right. And I think,
1: I think, certainly the people who enjoy working here enjoy that part of it. Mm -hmm. some people are terrified because it's too much change Mm -hmm. um but by the way at the top of that organogram it used to say organogram and it doesn't anymore we now have the quote from Meganson, and it's my my sign to new recruits that hey the one thing i can tell you about your position with certainty is it will change
0: so embrace change. And and one of the things that I want to dive into, and I, I really loved the way that you worded this in your interview, and you say that you guys moved away from mission statements or mission phrases to mission words. So mm. before we hit record, we talked about this idea of harmonizing values, the values that we hold uh, front center in our lives, in our heart, the, the things that are most important to us. And if we're not crystal clear on what those things are, then we just arrived. Run around chasing our own tail. We sometimes rise to the occasion, but oftentimes we fall because we're not authentically connecting to what's most important. So, you know, take a dive into that because a lot of companies, obviously, schools around the world, you know, they're so big on mission statements. And first of all, mission statements are way too wordy. There's so much in there. I had a, a boss one time. Uh, this was about 10 or 15 years ago, held up a $100 bill to the entire staff (laughs) and said, if anybody knows the mission statement word by word, Every yeah. word in the mission statement. I will give you this hundred dollars now. Over a hundred people. Not one person. Not one. So there's no zero it. connection to mission statements. So it's just a bunch of crap. Yeah. So, so let's just talk about the how you're thinking. Maybe you were always just mission word focused, but. Talk about that evolution of understanding and learning and changing mission statements and phrases into key words, and the impact that that's had on your organization. Well,
1: so sadly, for just a full transparency, we, we also in our uh, huddles, our Zoom huddles because of COVID, uh, every month and a half, I'll say, you know, what's the vision on this product, or what's the the key goal, and and yeah, I mean, it's twenty or thirty percent. I think that's a function of. We are all deep in the forest and are not appreciating the trees. That's the nature of business these days. So, uh, full uh, sympathy to that CEO that you knew that, that experienced that. Yeah. But, but again, if, if we could be curious about it, the, the key words started because exactly what you just said. It's absolutely ridiculous. And like, who's supposed to memorize all of this? And then, worse, if we want to communicate authentically what we stand for to the clients how are you possibly supposed to effortlessly and seamlessly instill those values to the clients? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I look at successful companies for storytelling and, and impulse products. I look at the Ben and Jerry's of the world that just created such an emotion. And emotion is not 25 words that I force you to memorize. That becomes inauthentic by the, by the mere fact that you now have to memorize Twenty-five words that will probably be awkward coming out of your mouth because you don't speak like I do, vice versa. Yeah. So we really went to, to words and we evolved them. So the, the part of change, right? So for Beaver Tales, the long-standing word has been joy. Yeah, and people will often say, you know, Beaver Tales, you're not worried about the uh, the health uh, crisis. You know, people are worrying about how they eat. I gotta tell you, this is a true story. The only time we have ever had to throw away ingredients at source, at the warehouse, and they expired so quickly. I'm I'm ashamed to say we we do donate to to food shelters. They were past date before we could turn around and donate them. This was the the biggest failed new product we've ever done. And it was organic peaches and real whipped cream. That was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was introduced the same time as the avalanche. The avalanche is a cream cheese beaver tail. Okay. Now, if, if you ordered a
0: cream cheese beaver tail, that's our highest calorie beaver tail. Yeah. Just for full disclaimer. That's going to get me now, through a marathon.
1: You know, oh, one <laughs> yes. But, but hold on though, because you can't order a cream cheese beaver tail. We make you take it with score pieces and uh, caramel sauce. <laughs> Needless to say, that's over the top on calories. Well, so that was introduced the same summer as organic peaches and cream. Organic peaches and cream lasted all of a year or two. Avalanche is still in our top five.
0: Yeah.
1: So we're beaver tails. People check off, you know that that that's a bucket list. It's got to be indulgent. It's got to make me happy. Yeah, that joy comes out. Yeah. But more recently, over the last two years, and and a lot during COVID, now we've, we've I don't want to say we sharpened because again, it's good to to refine and to evolve. The brand has to be living, but the current word we're using is memories, and it's amazing. We asked this in our franchise application: When was the last time you had a Beaver Tail? Which store do you know us from? was we get some crazy poetic. And in fact, you know what? I always tell a story about the guy who, from Vancouver who says, "I still remember uh, it was as if it was yesterday." My my wife and I trekked to the top of um, Grass Mountain, and there it was, glistening in the sunlight. Your stand in the distance, and we walked over and had a beaver with The guy could have been a poet. <laughs> and that's the guy who gets the franchise, right? We don't want the guy who memorizes the the yeah. mission statement. This guy got it, and this week, so very. Apropos, this week there's another fellow who says uh, I'm I'm the guy I'm the guy that's going to do Vancouver. We have a few stars in Vancouver. He says I want to do Vancouver. I took my daughter for her first hike. She's five years old. After the hike, we went to the Jasper. Came across a beaver tail. had not had one in a while. This was her initiation to it. It stuck with me. His words. Weeks and months later, the biggest memory of this her first hike. It was a beaver tail. Yeah. And that's it. It's a memory. Yeah. And IntraWest, sorry, last little parentheses on this, but IntraWest would tell us that in their surveys, back when it was on IntraWest, how was your front desk experience? How was the grooming of the s- slopes? How was our fine dining? How was the cleanliness standards?
0: Number one memory, beaver tails. Yeah. So going back to the, the stories and the connections, so it's not... You know, it's creating those those moments. And that's what Steve Jobs says that Apple was all about. I didn't know that. What would the same idea about creating a feeling, right? It's not so much about the, the product, but it's creating a feeling. Yeah. And you want people to experience these feelings when they um, buy the product or experience the product. So it's rooted yeah. in human emotion, really, right? Absolutely. Which is great for branding
1: too. But, but ultimately, you know, if we can put capitalism aside, it makes for a more fulfilling story. That short story in my life will make me proud. We yeah. created an experience. The amount of times that people propose over beaver tales every year. It's astounding. We don't organ, we, we couldn't possibly organize that because
0: it would be inauthentic. We yeah. just always marvel at how naturally that happens. Yeah, that's awesome. And, Great. you know, when Peter uh, Ignazi was telling me about uh, your story, um, I've asked Peter to write something up here that I want to read to you um, during this episode. Oh but, but he did talk about um, this idea when you guys were in Italy um, that you were always out on the streets looking for ideas, whether it be like a great meal and how you can recreate it or a slogan or whatever it is, you're, you're looking for ideas and then letting those ideas process and, and thinking about the way they uh, apply to the work that you will one day do or the work you are doing. What came to mind um, when I was preparing for this episode, have you heard of Austin Kleon, Steal Like an Artist? No. Okay. So Austin I I will write that down. Keep going. Austin Cleon is a is an author and in two thousand and twelve he released his first book called Steal Like an Artist. And it's all about creativity and where we get our ideas from and that nothing is original. And it's a fantastic short read. And it's always one that I've kept on my bookshelf. And you know, when I, when I think about certain people, I buy the book for them um, because they're really creative people. So I want to tell you a quick story uh, about Austin Kleon. And then I have a couple quotes from Austin Kleon, because obviously I think creativity is a huge strength of yours as well. So just bear with me as I tell the story, because I Ooh. think it'll resonate with you. But Austin Kleon uh, does something called newspaper blackout. So that's what he's most known for. So he'll literally take, for example, the Toronto Star or, or whatever newspaper, New York Times. He'll take an article and then he will read the article and then pick out keywords in the article, circle them, and then black everything else out. So only 10 words show up in the whole article. But he what he does is makes a really funky statement from that those ten words or seven words or eleven words, whatever it is. And it's friggin' hard. Like I practiced doing this on vacation and I'm like <laughs> reading the article so Really, just 10 words? Yeah, it could be. It could be three. It could be 15. It could be 20. But his artwork, a newspaper blackout, started to win awards and he started to do these um, exhibits and galleries and stuff like that. So he was accused of um, stealing the idea from somebody. And he got really pissed off because it was his own work. So he decided to study the genealogy of ideas. Oh, wow. You know, he decided to trace back who did similar things so uh, he was accused of copying somebody's work so he said well in fact I don't do what that guy did because I use a newspaper this dude used to walk into used bookstores back in the 50s or 60s and just take the first book that he saw take it off the shelf open it up and then do something similar but it wasn't the same thing but that's what inspired um yeah, the yeah. Genealogy, I see it. yeah. So then, then he kept going back and back and back and back and he went to the original source which was like in the early 1800s this dude that sat in a pub and he would read the first newspapers and you know how the newspaper prints were like columns yes to read like all the way down the column then the next column and the next column so you're reading north to south right he would sit there the whole bar would be on. there and he would go west to east and it made no sense whatsoever but he got this huge crowd every night laughing drinking beer listening to him do this so he was really big on uh, this idea the of ideology of ideas and then nothing is original so i'm going to read you a couple of his quotes and then i want you to pick the quote that most resonates with you and then speak to it in regards to your own journey of creativity okay, okay. Come on. so yeah. quote quote number <laughs> one don't just steal the style, steal the thinking behind the style. You don't want to look like your heroes. You want to see like your heroes. So that's that's the first one. The second one is nobody is born with a style or a voice. We don't come out of the womb knowing who we are. In the beginning, we learn by pretending to be our heroes. We learn by copying. So of those two, what resonates with you in your journey of creativity? And then double click on creativity and how you create the conditions to be um, creative in your own life and work. So, okay. Definitely the first one. Okay. So I'm going to repeat it now. Let me repeat it. Don't just steal the style, steal the thinking behind the style. You don't want to look like your heroes. You want to see like your heroes. So take it away.
1: So this happens a lot with our new flavors. So it's, it's so easy to, eat. we're in the impulse food market. There's inspirations galore, but we always try and take it a step further. And so for instance, um, two years ago, donuts with cereal were big and we did a bunch of cereal and cause there was a thing to do. Not the most creative, but our Lucky Charms really worked. And Lucky Charms have marshmallows. And the marshmallows offered a nice uh, juxtaposition, if you will, with with our crunchy beaver tail and the soft topping and the soft marshmallow. So it was was an interesting play. And from there, we said, oh, we we have to do like a s'mores beaver tail. And we've got to torch the beaver tail. Which turned out to be a bit of a fire hazard, and some franchisees got, got upset with that. But they found a great solution this year. We brought it back, and anyway, all was all good. But that's where you look at it, and you connect the dots, and you try to go past it. So, in theory, if if you look at the genealogy of that idea, our Smores Beaver Tail was born of Lucky Charm Beaver Tail, which is born of every major donut chain in the U.S. Or not not franchise main, but the the artsy hipster donut shops. But I'd like to believe that. We didn't steal. Or we, we, we didn't look like heroes. We saw like heroes. Yes. We we went past that. We we, we ran with the marshmallow, but our final torched s'mores was. Mm-hmm. There's no relation to a lucky charm anymore. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that makes it a little bit more interesting. And, and you know, when even even a team in the office like we don't want to just release new flavors. By the way, newsflash: you can put anything on a beaver tail. In fact. I don't know if I'm supposed to announce this yet, so everybody keep it keep it on the QT. But we're doing the collab with craft uh, macaroni and cheese. We're going to put craft macaroni and cheese on beaver tails. <laughs> Literally, just Canadian, kind of Canadian, yeah, Canadian. You know, two Canadian treats. It, that's fun. Yeah. They may not always sell some of those we do just for the the, the fun of it you know the shits and giggles excuse the expression yeah, yeah. but but we, we look for those different ideas to just try and carry it
0: to make it fun to make yeah, it. Yeah interesting to bring joy and so when when you when are you at your creative best in your work when you think about your own work and the vision you have and you over the years um, always looking at ideas and thinking about how you can take that idea and tweak it and modify it um, talk about the conditions that need to be present in your own life for you to be at your creative best Mm. so the founder of
1: uh, Shake Shack Um, whose name embarrassingly escapes me. Uh, Anyway, everybody knows who he is, big big guy in the food industry. He wrote a book all about hospitality just recently. Um, And a lot of people have worked in hospitality and during COVID we all know exactly how complicated that could have been. Our entire industry is short-staffed and underpaid and all of these crazy challenges we have. So the reality is you've got to be good to make it in hospitality. You've got to worry about the details, but the reality is also that you can get lost in the trees. Um, the reality is that we can go into our stores and we do walkthroughs often and you can go in and forget to look at the joy in the kids' faces or the parents' faces and and not just to feel better about what we do, but to understand what's driving their joy mm-hmm. For years, we sold ice cream in our shops. Some of our shops even made their own ice cream. N- not a super hard process, not, not complicated. But we realized that the clients could care less. They weren't coming to us for a premium ice cream experience. They were coming to us for an indulgence. Mm-hmm. And the number one ice cream vehicle in our store is the Tail. And for years, we did not offer ice cream in a beaver tail because it was too messy. Mm-hmm. And we made this almighty decision, because of course we know best, to say no, don't even offer that. Mom's going to get upset. Well, the reality is that we were not listening to the clients. We were not listening to our keyword. Mm-hmm. Messiness is celebrated at beaver tails. Mm-hmm. We often tell a, a new candidate when they ask, you know, where should I locate a store? We say, that's easy. If you imagine mom with her child and the child gets chocolate from a lovely, delicious gooey beaver tail all over themselves. One of two things will happen. Number one, mom will get upset and try and clean you off and take you home. So you might've been uh, at a mall or you might've been, I don't know, somewhere proper. You do not want to put a beaver tail store there. Or number two, mom says, hold on, don't move. And grabs her phone for an Instagram moment we want to be there. We want to have a store within 10 feet of that Instagram moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I forgot exactly where, where I was going with all of this. Hopefully I was I next, con- conditions it was- for creativity, you know? Yes. Thank you. So the reality is I'm at my most creative when I am surrounded by people who are having as much fun as I am. And when we get into rigid hospitality mode and, we're short products and we're short employees and we've got to logistically get a, a, a shipment to Utah because the border closed. And by the way, those three instances the last two weeks, those were true stories. Yeah. Um, that's where you're swept up in the day-to-day trees and you don't get to enjoy the forest. Whereas when I'm around people who are really enjoying it and our staff, you know, we have the normal, well, maybe less than normal, but we have the turnover that our industry is known for. I embrace that. I think it's great. I always tell my employees at the office, but I tell them at the store level too. My hope is that you become a graduate of our office as opposed to a former employee. Mm -hmm. A former employee just gives their notice and moves on to somewhere else. A graduate takes what we do and moves on to something greater. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big coffee guy and Bruce Constantine, who was one of our employees early on, went on to McKinsey. So obviously, you know, knows, knows a thing or two about business and later ended up starting a company that he just sold called Espro and they had a, a tamper for espresso yeah. that had a loaded spring so that when you press down on your group head, it applied the perfect optimal pound per square inch pressure yeah. for your tamping. Nice. Very nice, very impressive. Bruce was an alumni. Bruce yes. went on to much bigger and greater things than we've ever aspired to. Good for him. That, the time I had Bruce,
0: he challenged me to do creative things because yes. everybody was on top of their game. Yeah, so creating this environment, as you, as you say, supporting curiosity, uh, but also creativity and, and innovative thinking. And when you think of yourself as a leader now, like how do you hold yourself accountable to ensure that you stay motivated and that you lead with poise and clarity? And to what extent does critical self-reflection play a part of uh, your learning when it comes to the way you lead?
1: Well, humbly, I think the first rule there is uh, I'm, I'm never satisfied. And that maybe works well with my, my immigrant uh, background or my parents' immigrant background. I'm always uh, pushing myself. Uh, I take the kids to the stores on the weekend and the kids, for context, are 10, 12 and 15. Mm-hmm. The 15-year-old doesn't come as much anymore. He's had his share of beaver tails. But <laughs> I take them and and I ask them, what do you see? What do you think is right about that? What do you think is wrong about that? And sometimes, you know, I, I get invited to, to speak at McGill, where Peter and I studied at the MBA program. And I tell my wife all the time, you know, the questions I get from those students are much more informative than any of the answers I give them. Hmm. Just looking at it with fresh eyes, whether it's it's a student getting an MBA or my, my 10 year old son looking at it with those fresh eyes keeps me fresh. So that, that, that's how I hopefully stay humble, but hopefully also just stay sharp as a leader, questioning everything. The, the change model, there's, there's no surprise that it's in me on above my desk. I'm constantly looking at it and I, I would say in a given weekend, I would say maybe, half the decisions I make are, okay, we got to change this because it's not working. And the other half are, okay, we've got to change this because it is working. So how do we, how do we keep that fresh? Um, and so that's, that's what I do to myself. It's constantly, and I don't know what you mentioned something before, about the, the inspirations we look at yeah. oftentimes I get asked by, by young people in the industry, what newsletters do you read that could help you stay on top of the industry? And my advice to them is something that I I heard in a conference once, and I I wish I remember who had said it, but I would say a third of my newsletters are food and restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. The other two thirds, a lot are design and architecture, because there's a lot of change inherent in that. And otherwise it's all kinds of weird stuff because you never know where you're going to connect the dots. You've got to expose yourself to, if all I do is read the restaurant newsletters, I, I'm not seeing like a hero. I'm, I'm yeah. more likely to just, uh, here's another expression we have in the office, office uh, office often it's evolution versus revolution and evolution is a slippery slope. It's easy to just say, okay, we're going to do a, f- a new f- flavor of beer retail, but is really, can we do something more than just a flavor? Yeah. Can we do a new platform? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done a few of those in the
0: last few years, and that's it. it again, makes it interesting. It makes gives you joy if we yeah, go yeah, for sure. To that. And when you think about the mentors that you had, and I think that you said that um, in the one interview that uh, it's not that you wish you had better mentors, but there were negative experiences with some of your so-called mentors early on. But what was it that was lacking in the mentors that you had, and then how did you build that? Um, build what you needed, or how did you develop what you needed from a mentor? And I think maybe that speaks to what I was saying before, that you might have an
1: admirable, brilliant person, and she may just not speak to what I'm doing now. She can be more valuable as a human than I'll ever be. But if it doesn't speak to what I'm doing now, then it, it, was it Marshall McLuhan, the, the the sender and the receiver? Where where does that go wrong? Is it yeah. is it that I'm not being mentored properly, or I'm, maybe I'm not menteing properly? Yeah. Um, so I I think what I try and take from the mentors, and and I I have a couple of CEO, well one CEO coach, and a couple of advisors that I uh, paid and and unpaid, just people that I I call it coffee corners. Again, big coffee guy sorry <laughs> don't not so yeah. much coffee' beer test but i love my coffee yeah. um so go for a coffee corner we just literally sit and, and and we'll talk but we might talk about the state of vaccination trends in North america it's just something to get conversation going um and I guess what I, what i look for is resonance it's doesn't by by all means it's not that oh this person validates what i'm doing that's not much of a mentor i, I much sooner be challenged. That's an echo chamber. <laughs> Literally. Right. Yeah. Great work. Great comparison. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I like to feel uncomfortable. My my wife sometimes laughs at me and says, you know, like you like to skate, like you like to, to, to deal with the unexpected. But yeah. I guess if, if your brain is a muscle and after years of me embracing change, I yeah, very much actually do enjoy
0: yeah Um, those kinds of mind games the unexpected and yeah i read something or i listened to something the Yerkes, i don't know if i'm getting this right the Yerkes dodgson model which is there needs to be a certain edge there it's not about just nice and easy and smooth there needs to be a certain edge or level of anxiety there needs to be a little bit there, yep. and then that's how you perform at your best. So there's an X axis and a Y axis, and when you get that edge right, that's when you perform at your best. So what you're talking about is that idea of being challenged and, and always being in that space where you are challenged that forces you to think and pivot and adapt and continue to move forward, right?
1: Time, and it reminds me of, one of our key words. So we use this for business strategy too. Three years ago, pre-COVID, our key word was complacency. Because we got to a point, and we're so blessed, and we're so fortunate, and we're so happy about it. But we got to a point where tell stores, we spend, this year for the first time, we spent money on advertising for franchises. It was part of a test we did. I think we spent $480. That's it. We do not advertise for franchises. They come in organically. And I was talking to Scott, our development director. And I said, Scott, it's it's crazy. Like we we really do want to try and lift this, but yeah. it's hard to keep up just with what comes naturally. Yeah. And in the franchise world, usually it's business people who are you know. I'm not sure between a Subway's or a Wendy's or you know, nothing against any of our other uh, colleagues in the industry. For Bieber Tales, we used to ask, we don't ask this word anymore, or we don't ask this question anymore. We used to ask, "What other franchises are you looking for?" Just to give us context. People were astounded looking for what do you mean? I wasn't looking for another franchise, mm-hmm. but uh, Tales was the one I wanted. Actually, I don't want a franchise. I just want to buy Bieberelss we are a franchise. You realize that. But then it was like, no, I'm buying into the joy. You just happen to be a franchise, but I was never, I never signed up for franchising. So the complacency model was, and this was meant for the the team at head office, as well as uh, the folks, uh, our franchise partners. It got to a point where we're selling these stores really seamlessly and effortlessly. The lineups are effortless. I remember reading at the conference, that's here, the, the complacency conference, we called it. I read a quote from one of our clients. This was a true quote. They said, um, I went to Canada's Wonderland and I waited an hour and 10 minutes for my beaver tail. And it was absolutely the most delightful part of my day. That beaver tail was delicious and it was worth every penny of it. So again, kind of magical. I think we have that framed in the office somewhere. But now try having a conversation on a very pragmatic level with our franchise partners and say, okay, we've got to add labor to get these lines going faster. (laughs) Why? People are celebrating our lines. We should put selfie moments in our line. <laughs> it, it skews everything to the point that you're not taking it for granted. Yeah. So yeah, so that, that year, complacency was the word. And it was like, we, we have to kill complacency.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yes. and the
1: time to kill it was before it became a problem. Like, our, I remember telling my CEO coaches, Terry, our, our scores are through the roof, we're at 4.7. And he calmly would say to me, well, why isn't it 4.8? Yeah, even when you wait, even when it's expensive, even when it's the calories and if this is the best. Yeah. Love this stuff.
0: So this is something I asked Peter and I was curious about in in Peter's work. And and I really like to ask this question. So as we segue towards the end of the podcast, some of the, the leadership strategies to generate awesome conversation on teams. So I've spoken to so many leaders around the world And many leaders have no formula for the way that they hold conversations. They just let them organically happen, informal. But then what that can lead to is the people with the loudest voice speaking the most. So, if we don't bring certain protocols to the discussion, we don't bring equal voice, equal ideas, and really look at um, what's possible through the lens of equal uh, contribution. So as a leader, when you sit down with your teams, how do you structure conversations? Is it informal? And if it's informal and that works best, great. Or do you bring certain protocols to the discussions? And if so, what are those protocols?
1: They, they tend to be informal. For sure, we, we have a communicative open style. It's an open office. Uh, we have the, the cafe section of the office is about a, a third of the total office. And again, we're only 15 people, but... I'll put our coffee equipment up against any Starbucks any day. It's a loud, we have a a, a, literally a club quality sound system in the office. So I had to turn it off in my office for this talk. So it's, it's very energetic, very vibrant. I would say the only protocol I bring is, it is Socratic uh, questioning. Mm -hmm. It stops me from talking, which I can easily do too much of. Um, And I'll try more often than not to say, who is doing what you're talking about better than you? Who's doing it better than us? Uh, you know, Ben and Jerry says, okay, well, who's doing it better than them? And it's really just about the digging deeper to the deeper why. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, and allowing me to shut up or yeah. forcing me to shut up. <laughs> so basing the, the structure of the conversation around questions and questioning.
1: Questioning and, and
0: specifically Benchmarking and clear comparisons
1: to who, it, it forces you to look up. Yeah, yeah. And too often, I think conversations can easily become, you know, what are we not doing
0: well? And so-and-so is not carrying their weight and it, it, it degenerates and yeah, yeah. Not, not as fun. Yeah, yeah. Great. So um, in, in closing, I do want to ask you, um, if you think about your life, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, Uh, whenever it is you you may never retire you may just continue to do this hopefully for you know the next 30 40 years whatever but um if you were to reflect back on your life what do you want your legacy to be
1: Hmm. Uh, not the most poetic way to phrase it but if, if we could be the canadian ben and jerry's if we could be the love brand that People talk about at dinner parties. Wow, that that brand is just so fun. That is worth more than, you know. I don't need to sell to Nestle for a hundred million dollars. I could. Yeah, yeah. No, don't sell it at all. That that is. In other words, if we could leave a memory, not just the yeah. product, but a memory.
0: Well, it, it is. Is this true that um, Barack Obama, uh, the former president, had beaver tails Absolutely, he yeah. did. Co- yeah. Totally <laughs> natural
1: and. Anything to do with it. it
0: that's awesome. the founder
1: of our company who's still involved in the company did send out a few invites, as I'm sure you know, President yeah. Obama gets an invite or two.
0: But yeah. That's awesome.
1: Well, and and you know, my daughter might be more enthralled. Well, no, she she admires Barack Obama, but but uh, Sean Mendez also talked about Beaver Tales uh, not oh, three months ago. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The bare naked ladies changed the lyrics to one of their songs. During the live concert, I think in Ottawa, if I had a million beaver tails. Like there's so
0: many of those. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. When you when you're talking about craft dinner on a beaver tail, I was thinking about their their song putting ketchup. If I had on a on. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's responsible. You see, genealogy of an idea. Who knows where it came from? Yeah, I love it, love it. Where can people obviously it's not hard you just plug in beaver tails, but um, tell us um, social media links and
1: um, yep, I'll simplify. BeaverTales official, uh, Twitter, they, actually our team has really lots of fun with with Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm less so, but uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, BeaverTales.com gives you all those links. And we're really uh, coast to coast from uh, Halifax, Prince Edward Island. We're working on a Newfoundland deal, but all the way to uh, the other end in
0: Victoria, B.C., and some, yeah, country, and some of the countries, and some of the countries, because there are people listening Mexico, to this from around the world. Mexico, yeah,
1: you're right, right. Japan, Mexico, Japan, France, uh, Egypt, maybe we're looking at uh, very seriously. Dubai, I uh, we were in Dubai pre-COVID. I don't yeah. think that one's going
0: to make it, sadly. Yeah. So, but maybe' France's had in the- a hard time through COVID too. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll make it. Awesome. Well, you know, you, you have such an incredible life's uh, kind of body of work and, and um, it's evident from the conversation, the passion that you have for what you do and what you believe in. And again, I, I like to go back to that mission word idea and, you know, it's something that your employees can hang their hat on and, and they know that this is what I'm going to align my thoughts, my words, my actions to. And you will find the right people when you're crystal clear on that. And that's what you make transparent. This is what we believe in. It might not be for you, but, and you figure it out quickly if it's not, and it's okay if it's not for you, you move on, you do your own thing.
1: And you know, you know what, Andy, it might not be for you today or this year, or it might be
0: for two or three years, Yeah, but enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Embrace it while you have it. Awesome. Yeah. Great uh, chatting with you. And um, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This is wonderful and yeah. painless. So I'm going <laughs> to close off the show and I hope I don't put your, your last name here, but we've already talked about that. And if I Have do. confidence and <laughs> <Okay. for laughs> So thank you very much, everybody, for listening to this episode with Pino D. Yoya. Fantastic. Did I do it right? That. It was excellent. <laughs> Great. excellent. Uh, and uh, I hope you come back to listen to future episodes.